I tried to find some sort of water-based legend to tell you today that every single story I found was inappropriate to the mood that I wanted to capture in this episode. Almost every fairy tale, legend, or myth that I dug up about water had some horrific foundation to it, and so it made the element of water the bad guy every time. Which makes me wonder if there might be years of trauma associated with the ocean and rivers and lakes. Ancestral fears coming from what might have been hidden and dangerous in these large bodies. And so over time, all the folklore coming from it ended up kind of dark. That's my initial reaction anyway. Even Yemaya, the water goddess of African oceans was brutally raped by her own son, which caused her to throw herself off a mountain. And as she did, 14 gods emerged from her body and sacred waters gushed from her womb, creating the seven seas and giving the gift of water to the earth. This is the version I kept finding over and over, and after several hours of scouring and searching, I just gave up on trying to find a more positive water story. In today's episode, I'll talk about the good side of that magical element, the one that we need as much as we fear. So join me. I have mine here, a nice fresh glass of crystal clear mountain spring water, just so I don't get choked up. It's a new year. Let's bring it in with something nice instead of the Kraken, okay? This is Natural and Wild with Christine Grayson. I'm a storyteller, a nature spiritualist, and a muse. Welcome to my little world in the woods. Water. The oldest drink in the world. It can go anywhere it wants. It can shapeshift. It can kill you. And it can keep you alive. Water is the true essence of life, not blood, with its vampiric reputation and deadly romance novels. Just water, this simple, clear, tasteless liquid that runs through everything that moves, all of us here living on the land, aquatic animals, the creatures that live most of their lives in the air. Everything is nurtured by it, like a mother. We call Earth the mother, but we should probably give that name to the ocean. Mother Ocean. Yemaya. She constantly generates energy, and you can't keep her in one place. We all know the way a natural spring is formed. Water travels. She moves away from her source. Sometimes she finds herself caught in the middle of an empty space of rock underground, an aquifer, a womb in the earth. And over thousands and thousands of years, water makes her way through a tiny crack or a porous stretch of that earthen material and eventually bursts through the surface to freedom. She won't be contained forever. She's persistent. She'll move and create energy and pressure until she's made a small crack in the bedrock 
and she'll keep moving and moving until she's crafted a little tunnel that eventually makes its way through the earth, even through the toughest rocks and biggest caverns. She never gives up until she finds that free breath. What happens when she's imprisoned and can never leave a space? She becomes stagnant. The living bodies inside her expire, generating a bad odor and feeding other, more aggressive and dangerous life forms, toxic bacteria. Water's dark side comes out when she's found herself locked down and her freedom taken away. Humans collecting and keeping water, like me, have to seal the containers if they intend on storing it for long periods of time, because water can go stale even overnight. She needs air. She needs to flow, to move. She always needs to move. Water is the blood of all life and action. The language of water is all about that energy. To keep moving, to keep dancing, activity is living, whether it's in your mind or in your body, or both. Strong minds keep moving just like the water that feeds them. She's in every part of us. She's in the music we make. She's in all the aspirations that we generate. Sit still. Just close your eyes. Have you stopped moving? No, not really. Your mind is traveling, generating, crafting, and dreaming. Even when a body is in a deep state of trance or meditation, there's still movement in the mind. There is never nothing even in space, there's never nothing. You can't reach absolute nothing as long as you're alive. We have to go to extremes, go through practice, hours and sometimes years of meditation to get to a point where we can reach that place that is so relaxed and simple while we're still conscious. Because we are water, we're always moving. If you've ever tried to reach nothingness in your mind while meditating, to just wipe your brain of anything at all, you know it's near impossible. Even Buddhists practicing this for years rarely ever get to a place where they're in a state of nothingness. Their imaginations are still working too. They're just in a very deep, relaxed state. But being in that deep, relaxed state doesn't mean you're completely blank. Water, it chips away at boundaries and edges and even concrete and stones. It's kind of an anarchist. She can go anywhere if she's persistent. Persistent focus on where you want to be, never ever giving up, is what will get you there. There's a way to do anything. You just have to find that first little porous place or crack in the stone. Nothing is impenetrable. Everything changes. So keep looking. Wait for it. Time is never linear, and you might find that crack in the stone when you just don't expect it. When you see it, 
Examine it. Touch it. Decide if you want to start chipping away at that spot, at that moment. Because everything changes and shifts, and there will always be another crack in the stone. I remember one of the first places I ever learned to really meditate, unknowingly, it was at the beach when I was a little girl. If you followed my art and my writings, you know already that I was born into this odd church group that formed from a television show back in the 70s. It might have been the 60s, I'm not sure. It was a cult. They taught us to separate ourselves from the rest of the world, not to marry anyone who was not in the church. Very strict rules prohibiting most social situations. I'm not in it anymore. I left when I was 13. They didn't want us having anything much to do with the outside world. It had its own belief system, its own special days that we celebrated, and the way we worshipped was a little different. You know, typical things that any cult group does. But one thing they did every year was something that really had an effect on me in a positive way. It was this yearly trip that we would take out of state when we were playing out what the church believed we were going to be doing when the Armageddon came. You can't have a good cult without having a good end-of-the-world plan. And in our case, when the Armageddon came, we were going to travel to this place called Petra, which is in Jordan. This group believed that we were the chosen people. Of course, they all do. And we were going to find this tiny sliver of a pathway somewhere in the rock formations there and be safe inside its walls. That was when the end of the world came and God destroyed everybody else. And when the Armageddon was over, we would come out and we would rule the leftover world as kings and queens and teach beside the throne of God. Now, I don't know who was going to be left in this world after this hypothetical destruction of mankind, but we were apparently going to rule it. Anyway, the part I liked about it was the pretending to leave the world and go to another place, because we did this by booking week-long reservations out of state in some nice vacation spot every year, where the church would hold an eight-day revival type of thing. Everybody went to church every day, and we were reenacting leaving society and being in that place where we were all together and safe. Well, my parents usually picked a spot near some beach of some kind, usually down in Florida or Georgia somewhere, and it was always so nice. We would stay in this sweet little hotel by the sea, and I spent every day on the beaches. Being in church in the morning didn't really matter much to me. That didn't last all day long. And it wasn't like the kids were forced to sit up in their chairs or anything. We were allowed to roll out blankets on those cold tile floors, usually in some coliseum somewhere that they had rented out, and we'd either take naps or play with toys until it was over. Of course, what they were preaching filtered into our subconscious. But after that, it was off to the beach to spend the entire day. I remember being so fascinated with the power of those waves, so attracted to the sea foam and the sand and the way those waves would eternally come in over and over again. They never stopped. They just kept moving in 
the ebb and the flow, and this is what taught me to put myself into a trance at the ripe old age of five. I would sit there for long periods of time just watching that ebb and that flow of the water, falling in love with the sea. And to this day, I can just fall into a trance or a meditation so quick when I'm at the beach. I can sit there and just look at it for hours. I don't need anything else. And when I'm home here in the mountains, I watch the water from the creek. There's some kind of magic in the flow and the movement of water that just takes me away from everything else and brings me into this place in my mind where I'm feeling nurtured and where I feel like I can ask for anything or for guidance. And I always get it. Always. When I need something, there's always the water. She's always there. Every morning, here where I'm living now, the first thing that I'll do is go to the water, watch it rush down and around the stone beds and away to wherever she's going. And that energy is what wakes me up. I don't even have to touch it. I can just stand there and look down and watch it flow. And it gives me life. Just have to look at it. That movement, that energy in the water, it's so strong that I can feel it in the air. It cleans up the air around it, and you can breathe it in. This mist that settles over the whole space and hangs on the the leaves of the laurel tree limbs stretching out over it. And that clean air filters into you and through you and all around And the fresh temperature of the atmosphere and that energy in the air, it does something to your mind and to your body immediately. It's such a healing thing to experience. And I urge anybody who's anywhere near a rushing stream like that to go out early in the morning and experience that. And if you're not, Please save up for a road trip one day to feel that feeling, whether it's at some campsite or some park somewhere. It's got such a healing effect. It's that mad rush of water that does it, the moving, the action. Being around and even being immersed in water triggers a calming effect on the brain. Of course, that's if you haven't been traumatized in some way by water. But normally, in most people, water is calming. This marine biologist, Wallace Nichols, wrote a book about it called The Blue Mind. Actually, it's a huge, long title. It's called Blue Mind, The Surprising Science That Shows How Being Near, In, On, or Under Water Can Make You Happier, Healthier, more connected, and better at what you do. See, that's, that's a huge title, <laughs> but it's an interesting book if you want to read more about that subject. This Wallace guy believes that the reason most of us find a calming effect to water is because since we're made up of, of almost 70% water, and our brains and our hearts alone are primarily water, our most vital organs, that the sight and the sounds of the water will trigger the release of relaxing neurochemicals for most people. And I believe when you're in a very deep, relaxed state, 
some kind of meditative mind space, you can actually generate more energy in a positive way. Creativity, ideas, innovations. I know that the mind becomes more clear when it's more relaxed. Think about when we get angry. Easy enough to do. There's all kinds of things and people always trying to make us angry. When that anger hits you, it's an attack. And the first primitive response to it is to get angry back. Attack back. This is done out of pure adrenaline. A flood of arterial tension happens. And it's easy to make impulsive decisions. Impulsive decisions are usually not the best ones. But if you can stop yourself and take 24 hours to think about it and remove yourself from those people and those things, just get out. Take 24 hours and think. Your brain has time to relax a little. And after that initial 24 hours is over, it's way easier to make a a more rational decision, isn't it? Because you've relaxed a little bit. Maybe not a lot if it was something that really triggered you, but you can at least keep yourself from punching somebody in the face and ending up in jail for a night. Relaxation is everything. It's tied to contentment, peace of mind, being able to make better choices, success. We all need to get there to that more relaxed, content state. Can't be there all the time. Life is complicated. But the more we get into the habit of putting ourselves in that relaxed state, the happier we're going to start to feel more often. There are ways to mentally stay on top of it all, but it requires learning how to trigger that relaxed state. And I do it, for example, through meditation. And sometimes I do use water to get there. If you don't have water... Get yourself one of those bubbly fountains or a lava lamp or something that stimulates the motion and that fluid look of water. It always helps. They have these jellyfish lava lamps that I want to (laughs) get. I'm going to get me one one of these days. I think they're wonderful. That calming effect that fish tanks have, even if there are no fish in them, just the bubbling, moving water and a light bulb. Try it. It's really relaxing. Most people who create on a schedule, people who have to push out music and art and books on deadlines, they sometimes have to leave what they're doing and come back to it. Because that anxiety due to the deadline, that stress and that worry, it's eased off when they just walk away, let it go for a little while. And as soon as they start to relax and forget about it, guess what happens? Magic. That's what happens. So relax. Drink some water. Learn to love it as much as wine or coffee or whatever your favorite beverage is. It's an ancient healing elixir of a drink. Relax. Learn to do it habitually. Set a time every two or three days at some point when you can, and just stop. Remove yourself from everything and everybody. Tell your kids to go play in their room for 30 minutes. 
and just sit back and do nothing. Learn to relax. Then when you can, if you want to, schedule it a little more often until you're doing it every day. I wake up super early just so I can have that few minutes to relax and meditate every morning before I, I get involved in everything else that I've got to do. And it works. Despite all the challenges I've seen and all the angst I've been surrounded by here during this past year, I've managed to keep myself above most of it, most of the time. And today, I'm content. I'm okay. I didn't lose anything except for a job. And you know what? It was a job that was terrible for me. It made me sick. And so it was meant for me to lose it. I'm okay with that. Most of us have had time to slow down this year just a little bit and rethink some things, move some things around. How did you handle it? How are you going to keep handling it? Because we're still in that shift so relax into it. Watch. Listen. Take your life to the next level with better ideas and thought patterns that can only be generated by learning to calm down. I raise my glass here to all of you now. My little glass of spring water with my lemon in it helps clear my throat. It's waking me up. And I wish every one of you a happy and relaxed weekend. This has been Natural and Wild with Christine Grayson. I'd like to thank my most elite supporters of the show, Yvonne Ragland, Robin Umber, Bruce Presson, Chris Nolan, Arnold Bloom, Sheila McGregor, and William Bishop. You guys have kept me alive and running. Your help means so much to me. Thank you to everyone dropping a dollar or two into the PayPal wishbowl. The donate button is up on my website at the very bottom of the podcast page. There's a link in the description of this show. Happy New Year, everybody. Love your neighbor. Love yourself. And let's make this a good one.